0: June 4th, 2020, I'm Ron Scharf.
1: I'm Avi Kaufman.
0: And this is Accent Insights. We conducted a survey a couple of weeks ago. Lots of our clients were asking us, you know, what is our take on what's happening in the market? You know, are things, is there going to be more inventory, less inventory, prices going up, down? Um, there's a lot, obviously, that goes into that, but one of the things we thought would be uh good to look into is sort of how people are feeling about their own economic security. So we did this survey from May 6th to May 14th. It was a simple, just a few questions. Um, we were very, very pleased with our responses. We had almost 150 responses between Brookline and Newton. You know, So we're not quite USA Today, but we're not that far off from some of the surveys I see there. And uh, some of what we saw didn't surprise us too much, and some of it was a little bit surprising and certainly interesting. Avi, what when we looked at the results, what jumped out at you?
1: Yeah, a few things jumped out at me. One, we asked people about their personal confidence in their income stream, and we also asked them about their household income level. And when we, when we did a cross-reference chart uh, of these two questions, what was surprising and what's not surprising is that generally the more money a household made, the more secure they were, uh, with the exception that the, the highest income bracket, the, those households making more than half a million dollars per year. In, in our sample, they were not the most secure. They were not the least secure, um, but they did not report as much confidence in their income stream as the, as the, the bracket just below them, the 250 to $500,000. Uh, and you know, we were talking about different reasons why that might be. One possibility is that there's that a lot more people who are self-employed who own businesses in that highest bracket. So naturally, in times of uncertainty, uh, they're going to have more certainty.
0: I think that's right, and I, you know, and let's be clear, right? In in either case, we're talking about relatively high incomes, right? The the second highest bracket we talked about was one hundred thousand to two hundred fifty thousand dollars household income, which is which is still that's you're pretty good, if your if your household is is in that bracket, um, certainly with respect to the rest of the country, and even with respect to Massachusetts, I think. But you're right, and I think. I think what we concluded or what we we, we surmised or, or hypothesized is, you know, those are the people um, who have great jobs. I mean in the, in the 250 to 500 uh, of Cor- the group that has great jobs? Correct. Correct. I'm sorry. Yes. 250 to 500. Is, and, and and it's probably two income people working in, in very nice, relatively secure jobs in biotech or high tech, uh, the kind of things that draw people to the greater Boston area. And they're feeling pretty good. Um, and I think the higher income people are probably a little bit more entrepreneurial or maybe they're, you know, they have a medical practice, you know, things like that where they're, they are making more money. Um, but, uh, you know, they're shut down and they don't have that backstop of a, of a larger company to keep providing income. But having said all that, right when when we look at sort of the next question we asked, which was do our respondents feel if if they have a sufficient cash cushion to ride out a downturn, that highest bracket, not surprisingly, uh, was I think universally confident. Whereas the the two hundred and fifty to five hundred k bracket and the ones below it expressed less confidence in how much they have socked away. You know, And I think uh, that's not a big surprise. So yeah, no, interesting. Now,
1: now if, if you ask the next question too, so we're not going to go over every question here. I mean, you can all go to accentbrooklinecom slash survey and, and check out the full results and analysis. But I think we should mention uh, at least one more, one or two more questions of interest. So about a quarter of the respondents had said that they had considered selling in the previous six months. And then we broke that down by their household income. And what we saw is that uh, overall, uh, the proportion of people who were sort of putting their plans to sell on hold matched uh, roughly the proportion of buyers that were putting their plans on hold. But it was very different by household income. Again, right, Ron?
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And we're we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about how the market. Today compares with uh, what was going on a year ago, and I think some of this will correlate interestingly. Again, we we, we can only surmise uh, and hypothesize. But but you're right. Um, I think roughly twenty five percent of the people who had thought about selling said they're maybe changing their mind.
1: Less than seventeen percent said that they were going to change their plans to sell, and that over five hundred thousand.
0: Right, and the you know the uncertainty there got much greater um when you when you go down even to the 250 to 500k group and then and then even more so uh when you get to the 100 to 250k group so um yeah that that was also interesting um and and look at you know Uh, people who have more money are more confident and, and less likely to, to change their plans, even in the face of one of the biggest shocks in certainly in a decade and maybe in a generation, we don't know how this is all going to play out. But, um, but this this survey was about confidence. So, you know, more money, more confidence,
1: even even in um, our sample size, so our sample was a little bit more heavily weighted with Brookline respondents than Newton respondents. But the confidence, at least on those who responded to our survey, people seemed a little bit more confident in Newton as compared to Brookline as
0: well. Uh, that was surprising to me. Uh, you know, the, the people in Newton, almost 70 percent, sorry, a little bit more than 70 percent said um, they felt that their market was either going to go up or stay stable. And that contrasted with you know, closer to 60 percent of Brookline residents and fewer in Brookline said it would go up. No, no one from Newton said that they expected um, the market to crash. But six percent of our respondents in Brookline did.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Is it the question? Is is that just the people that we asked, or um, is Newton being a little bit more suburban, a little bit more stable? Does that have something to do with uh, different answers as well? Right. And uh, we'll have to reach out to USA Today for a survey of five people to know that answer. Right.
0: Well, I, look, I, I do think, you know, as I as I thought about this, and again, this is just me talking, right? But, you know, Brookline is, is a higher turnover market. And and I think that churn um, does create, you know, more of that feeling of mania. You know, if you're buying in Brookline, you're in those bidding wars more frequently. And, and the people in Newton, they stay in their homes longer. It's more single family. The, the community there is more stable. So I think that, you know, most of the people in Newton are not they're not leaving, right? They're not thinking about, you know, what's going to, what's happening next when my fellowship or my doctorate or my postdoctorate ends, mm-hmm. and and I have to sell my home. Uh, they're not worried about it as much. But let's let's go back to Brookline and uh, inventory and how it's matching up with demand, uh, because we did run this report of how this year is looking compared to last year. And you know, let's talk let's talk about surprises there, Avi. What what jumped out of you on that one? Yeah, so
1: this is very interesting to do in the context of the survey when we're comparing these results. So this was a a report we ran of uh, actual listing inventory, how much was put on the market, how much uh, went under agreement, how much sold, year-to-date 2020 compared to 2019 in Brookline. And what stood out to me is that, okay, so no surprise, inventory Mm -hmm. uh, has new listings coming on way down 2020 year-to-date compared to 2019. What I think is interesting is the difference in the performance of single families versus condominiums in Brookline. With single families not taking quite as much of a hit as condominiums, uh, both in the number of listings that have come to market and the number of listings that have gone under agreement or sold compared to the same period in the prior year in 2019. So if we look at single families, how many have actually been listed for sale year to date, this time last year was 104 compared to 88 this year. So it's down about 15%. Um but for condominiums, it went from 339 to 220, so down 35%, so a much more significant drop in the number of units actually coming to market among condominiums as compared to single families. And you know, similarly with uh with units that have actually closed uh, for single families, it's it's basically flat, 42 compared to 41 this year. For listings that that have accepted an offer but have not yet closed, it, it's fairly close, 68 last year, 61 this year. So only off about 10%. When when we look at same numbers for condominiums, much different. Um, the number of closed units, uh, actually closed for condos, went from 158 to 107, so down over 32%. And the ones that went under agreement. Two fifty three to one thirty nine, so down forty five percent. So what we're seeing is uh, steeper drops in the condominiums uh, than the single families, both in listings coming to market for sale, listings accepting offers and going under agreement, and listings
0: actually closing. Right now, I think it is very interesting, especially if you just look at year to date sales. Um, single families look almost exactly the same as last year. Right year to year to date sales forty two last year, this time forty one this year. 24 days on the market last year, 25 days on the market this year. Um, days to offer last last year was nine, this year 15. It's like one week or two weeks. It, you, know, you almost wouldn't know um, that it's different. And the median sale price has gone up by 6%. And that's true of the condos as well. But the inventory itself is low. In absolute terms, that's a small number this year or last year for single families compared to condos. So it could be that the sample set is bigger on the condos and and that's why you're seeing sort of a greater dislocation. I, I think one other thing that's important or interesting is that when we looked at this type of data three months ago, we were seeing that the inventory was down more like 60%. So the fact that the inventory is now down closer to 30% is is great. Right. It's, it seems like the market is starting to function and if you look at, you know at, at the at the under agreements, things are under agreement and relatively quickly. and this is without open houses and without some of the tools that we typically use as listing agents to gin up the excitement um, and get things under agreement quickly.
1: right I, and I think that's reflecting in you know as, as you said, Ron, the median sale price, whether you do an absolute price or in price per square foot, it's up about six to seven percent. Both condos and single families. Uh, so, when we're talking about these um, ripples in the market, we're really talking about inventory. It's not showing up in price at, at all, really, quite yet. And just from our experience in the brokerage, every deal that we've looked at so far has really had multiple offers. Certainly, for the past several weeks, every deal that we've we've been on has had multiple offers.
0: Right. You know, it's funny because you know we have had some people who are looking to upsize who've told us they're sitting it out. And that could have to do with you know just the tightness of the, the single family market generally and the, the fear that they won't find what they're looking for. Um, but that's, that is kind of normal. The number of listings is down, but not as much. The interesting question will be, because this is something you mentioned to me before we started recording, I think it's worth mentioning, if the demand keeps up with the inventory, if the people who waited to list their homes are gonna find that demand, as the existing demand soaks up the existing inventory. Because one of the things you mentioned, you said you had an experience with a with a foreign buyer trying to get a mortgage here, and that didn't work out as they had hoped.
1: Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. Sometimes uh, in the past, I've heard people sort of um, say, oh, this market's so hot because of all the, the international or the foreign buyers. And, you know, from, from our perspective, it's a little bit of a red herring, I think, when people say that uh, it hasn't been like such a significant portion of this particular market. Anyway, I'm working with someone who's moving here. And as always, I recommend they get a pre-approval letter. And what we learned is that a lot of the lenders on our list are not making loans to people that are not working in the United States. Um, you don't necessarily need to be a U.S. citizen, but you need to have U.S. income to qualify for a loan, which is different from before. Uh, and the, the way it was explained to me by several loan officers is that the uh, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Pulling things a little bit tighter because they, they're not sure about how, how reliable that credit checking of, of applicants is given what's going on in, in the market with unemployment. Uh, so I called a bunch of the banks and they all said, you know, we're not making these loans right now. Um, and I found one that would do it with 40% down for a foreign buyer, but otherwise they recommended, you know, maybe do a, a loan from a bank in the origin country, maybe do a cash out refi of your home there to finance your purchase here.
0: Right. Interesting. I mean, it's, as you say, I think a lot of times the you know the the notion of a foreign buyer is something that helps people explain uh, whether rightly or wrongly why the market is so is so tight. We often hear about oh the foreign buyers and, and and their cash, which you know if there are foreign buyers with cash, the the problem you just explained is not gonna is not going to be an issue, but. Um, I don't know how often there are the farm buyers with cash. We we mostly find a lot of our buyers do need some kind of loan. And so that, so if the traditional American mortgage market is not available to them, that might have some impact on demand. I mean, I, I've also heard from the lenders I've been talking to that they, they love the bread and butter refis right now. You know, it, no problem to W-2 uh, employees are, and they'll, they'll push it through quickly because they're, they're doing income verifications on the day of the closing now, which they didn't used to do. So the mortgages are at risk until until the closing. And I think you know, if you're a refi, that's not such a big deal. If you're a buyer, it could be a little bit scary if your job isn't, isn't secure. So I think to, to wrap up, we're going to try and run this survey again, probably in a couple of weeks, just to see how things are changing. And hopefully people will be as generous with their responses as they were this time. And You know, we can get some meaningful data now that we're in it a little bit more, who knows what things are going to look like, but um, maybe we'll be able to glean some more information.
1: Stay tuned. We'll keep updating you on the market as it evolves. If you have any questions or, or insights that you'd like to share with us, we'd love hearing from you. Um, oh, maybe we should share some of the insights that we got. One said, um, report answers some of the burning questions that I have about where we are and where we are headed. Less about where we are headed, but neither of us have a crystal ball. That's not right, true. Right. And we had an, another that said, um, I'm a little disconcerted that you topped off the financial categories at 500000 and above. Personally, we like to be recognized for our wealth category of $1 billion plus, just like the Donald. See that in future surveys, you keep that in mind. Otherwise, you might dissuade influential buyers like us from engaging in review. Right.
0: right. And I, want to be, I want to be clear. No. We've already sold that buyer uh, Tom Brady's house. So, so that's not going to be, you know, we, we won't insult <laughs> anyone going forward. And that and that buyer has been serviced. So it's it's all good.
1: I was going to say, I I only have like five or 10 buyers in the category, but I'm not sure which one said that.
0: Well, yeah, but we certainly don't want to insult any of them. So we apologize uh, for our insensitivity. I think that's all we have uh, for you this week. As always, stay well and and stay healthy. And if you have any questions, uh, we're at accentbrookline.com or you can call us and uh, we'll talk to you next time.